morning. Am I on? I don't feel on. Am I on? Oh, I'm on. It is good. It's good to see you. Uh, welcome, welcome to chapel. I, uh, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Matthew chapter 3. If you can pull out your phone, you can do it that way. Um, but this morning I want to look at I want to look at a passage of the Bible together, and I want to ask what it could mean for us here, now, today, this morning. And this morning, I don't, I don't want to do anything fancy. I simply want to offer a few thoughts on this idea of repentance. So Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 1, says this. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole reign of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now I want to start this morning, I want to start by reminding you, maybe for some of you this is informing you, not necessarily reminding you, you might be hearing this for the first time, but I didn't begin following Jesus. I didn't become a Christian until I was 20. And it was about nine months before I came to Central as a student. So nine months before I showed up here as a 21-year-old freshman, that's a whole other story, got kicked out of one school because they frown on never going to class ever. Uh, nine months before I showed up here as a 21-year-old freshman, I said yes to Jesus and became a Christian. So I was 20 years old. Uh, when I first gave my life to the Lord. And for most of my time as a Christian, I was taught, like in my Bible classes and from other people, I was taught that the word repent, I was taught that it was actually a military term and that it means to literally turn and walk the other direction. That, that when a commanding officer would tell a company to repent, that it was an order to turn 180 degrees and walk the other direction. By show of hands, how many? who else has heard that this is the definition of repent? To turn and walk another direction. Yeah, okay, well here's the thing. I have searched and searched and searched and I have found no evidence that biblically that's what that word means. I have looked and looked and looked and I can't find the military repent. I can't find it. So if somebody's holding on to it, I'd love to see it. Instead, instead I've had one of those everything you thought you knew is wrong kind of moments. You see, in the, in the Hebrew language, so in the Old Testament, the word repent is the word shub. Let me hear you say shub. Shub. And shub, repent, literally means to return. It means to return. So in Matthew 3, we're starting with this guy named John, kind of a weirdo, wore some weird stuff, ate some weird stuff, lived in the desert. 
and he's preaching this message of repentance. He's baptizing people in this river, and the text tells us that he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Well, this is, this is packed, it's loaded with significance. What's going on here is you have this guy, John, and he's preaching to a group of Hebrew, of Jewish people, and when they heard John tell them to repent, well, this word repent, it has some history to it. Because, because these people that he's talking to, they have a story. They have a heritage. They, their story that they come out of is a story of suffering and slavery and captivity. And, and then they have God delivering them out of this oppression. And so in these scriptures, given to them by God, there's this promise that these people have. This promise that all of these Jewish people would cling to. This promise is that one day a Messiah would come. A Savior. And he would deliver these Jewish people once and for all from this oppression. From this bondage they felt in their lives. And the, scripture, the scriptures promise that someday God is going to send this Messiah. And he's going to deliver these people once and for all. So the Jewish people clung to this promise and a really interesting thing started to happen over time these people started to develop expectations for the messiah what would happen is that they would pull one of the 500 some odd prophecies for their messiah and they would focus on that one prophecy so over time, for a lot of Jews, they would develop preconceived ideas of who they thought the Messiah was supposed to be. Some Jews would look at one prophecy and they would engross themselves in rituals and rules and regulations. Because to them, that's what this Messiah was looking for, a, roof, a rule follower, somebody who knows the rituals. And others would look at other prophecies and they would immerse themselves in interpreting the scriptures a certain way because that's what the Messiah was looking for. He was looking for somebody who reads this book correctly. And others would spend all of their time at the temple trying to purify themselves and continually giving sacrifices because for them, the Messiah wanted somebody who was clean and free from blemish and sin, somebody who was purified. So different people, different Jews, were all looking at the same scriptures and they were walking away with totally different understandings of what God would do when he sent the Messiah. So there are people. There were all these people. Who could be reading the same book. And they could come away with completely different understandings. Of who God is. And how he relates to his people. Totally different from how it is today. I know. So when John the Baptist announces that the kingdom of God has come near, that it's arrived, that it's here, when he invites them to repent, there's some, there's some weight to this word. This is an invitation to return. This is an invitation to liberation. It's an invitation to a new kind of life, a life that goes on forever and ever and ever. Repent, shub, return. Are you with me? Are we, are we tracking? So this word repent, it has like multiple sides to it. Again, you have this Jewish side, this Hebrew understanding, returning. 
And then Jesus comes along, and he like does that thing that Jesus does where he says, you've heard it said, but I tell you. You thought this, but let me, let me unpack that a bit more. And he adds to this understanding of repentance. And you see this in the Greek language. In the New Testament, you have two different forms of this word. One is the same as the Hebrew. It's the word shub that means return. But the other is the word metanoia. Let me hear you say metanoia. And metanoia literally means like a change of your mind or a change in your heart. Now, I've talked to you about this before, but in the first century, when Jesus was hanging out on earth, when Jesus was walking around in the first century, he was living and moving in a section of the world that at that time was controlled by the Roman Empire, this giant global military superpower. And this empire has come and it's taken over the land where Jesus and all of these Jewish people are living. And they're claiming that actually... Um, I know this land is yours, but we're going to come in and we're going to claim it as our own and we're just going to live here um, and we're going to tax anyone who lives here. And if you refuse to pay the taxes, um, well, we're a military superpower and we're bigger than you and might makes right. And so you're killed. So the Roman army comes in. They say, hey, we're going to claim this land. It's not ours. If you have a problem with that, we're just going to kill you because we're bigger than you. Now, again, if you're the Jewish people, you grew up in a tradition believing in one true God. And the problem is, is that these Romans who are controlling everything, these Romans have all, their whole other set of gods, they don't even believe in your God. And this Roman Empire had this political propaganda. And they would go into towns and villages, and when they conquered them, they would say, listen, Caesar is Lord. And if you didn't agree with them, if you didn't also believe that Caesar was Lord, well, then they killed you. So if you didn't bow down and say, we agree, Caesar is Lord, you, you would just be ki killed. So if you said that Caesar was Lord, that was great, but if you refused, you would die. And this is the time when Jesus lives. So Jesus, when he comes on the scene in the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and he starts talking about the kingdom of God, this realm where God is king, and he starts inviting people to metanoia, not only is he inviting people to return, there's also like this, this political dimension to repentance. This kind of repentance was inviting people to change, to turn from the empire and the power structures of their day, and it was forcing people to ask, where is my hope? Where is my salvation? What do I believe in? Do I believe in a political system? Is there a particular candidate and system that I believe in? Is it an empire? Do I believe in an empire? Do I believe that Caesar is Lord? Do I believe that might makes right? Or to believe that maybe God is doing something new right here. And so repentance, repentance has its roots in the Hebrew understanding of returning. Israel returning to God, to Yahweh with her whole heart. And Jesus adds on to that, this political layer, this changing of your heart and mind. To quit putting our trust in the empire and political systems. Now, in addition to these two, there's also this third, more individualistic, personal side to the word repent. 
The Jewish people had this complex system of atoning for or making right their own personal sins. The, the ways in which they'd acted and messed up and gone against God. But Jesus' death on the cross put an end to that whole system. It's the reason why there's not a giant table up here with dead animals on it. We're thankful Jesus put an end to that system. But we still acknowledge that within each of us, there is sin that needs to be repented of. There are patterns, there are actions, there are habits in each of us that we know they're wrong. They go against God and what it means to be human. And repentance is about acknowledging that. It's about admitting that we don't have all the answers. We can't do it ourselves to repent is to abandon our own agenda our own false expectations of salvation it's about to it's about acknowledging our sin and then changing our hearts and minds toward jesus is everyone still with me are we tracking repentance repentance is what sparked this outpouring that's still happening at Asbury University and is now spread to countless other college campuses. This movement, this outpouring that is being led by college students, it's being led by your generation. And it all started with a simple message in a college chapel like this one. And so I thought this morning, rather than doing my best to explain what was said, I could simply show you the last few minutes of this message from Asbury University. So take a look. So and from that simple charge by dude wearing New Balance dad sneakers, from that simple charge, students stayed in chapel. Some left and went to their next class. But there was, as, as people were talking to them later, they said there was this overwhelming sense. Like they went to their next class, but there was this sense, like, we, we should go back to chapel. And so students went to class and then came back in to the chapel space. And so they, they came back into the room and it, it like continued, it continues, excuse me, nonstop for almost two weeks. In fact, we just got like a notice from the president of the school saying, hey, um, pray for God to do something where you are because here's the deal. The state police have now blocked all entrances to Wilmore, Kentucky. It's this small community probably about the size of like Hillsborough or Heston. They've blocked all the entrances because there's no parking spaces left in town. Like, can you imagine just trying to get in your car and go to work and not being able to physically move because people are so hungry to experience this thing that God is doing in your small community and I'll be honest and I'll say I've wrestled with this that first Saturday a couple weeks ago there was like this like it was like the Saturday before the Super Bowl it was like there's this angst in my spirit and part of me wanted to like I was like I should just get in my car and I should go like I should go to Kentucky I want to I want to see this thing but then my brain started doing all of those like you have chapel on Monday morning I feel like they would frown on you not being there like things like that and so I like talk I didn't do it and then the days passed and I kind of like 
social media is a blessing and a curse because you're kind of watching this thing. And I started to think about all of those times that I spent praying for God's spirit to move in your lives. All of those times when I've journaled and prayed for him to move on this campus. And I, I st- there was this shift. And I started to like long not to go to Kentucky. Because man, who wants to go to Kentucky? Not, not to go to Asbury, but for God's spirit to move here in a new way. And my prayer started to change. My prayer started to be for dozens of you in this room who don't know the love of Jesus, that you would experience it and that it would change your life. Just this morning, I was walking in this room praying for you before you came in. And I had this moment where I was like, okay, cool, Asbury. You're a seminary. The Spirit should be moving there. Like, like, don't get me wrong, it's a miracle, we rejoice, what's happening there, fantastic. But like, you stacked the deck, right? From the very beginning, you have like critical mass of individuals wanting to see the Spirit move. But what about here? What would it look like for the Spirit to move in a room where the majority of you feel forced to be in this room? Where number of times, you know, the number of times that I've had people say, Pastor Zach, I just feel like I don't fit in here. And it's not that people aren't kind or loving or any of that, but what you say is, I don't fit in with all this Jesus stuff that I feel like is being shoved down our throats. I don't fit in with having to come into this room twice a week. What would it look like for God's spirit to move in that? (laughs) That would be a miracle, my friends. And so this has been my prayer. I started to think about what this room feels like when we gather for chapel because, friends, it feels heavy. I have sat back and run sound, and it feels heavy. The spirit of not wanting to be in this room is heavy in you. And so I started journaling. And I wrote this. I want you to see it. I said, I'm not mad at lost kids for acting like lost kids. I'm mad at the enemy for gaining such a foothold here. I'm not mad at lost kids. You can put students in there. I'm older than you, so you're kids. I'm not mad at lost kids. I'm mad at their lostness. I don't want a different campus. I don't want to go work at Asbury where apparently it's like Jesus on steroids right now. I don't want a different campus. I don't want a different group of students. I don't want to run to what's happening at Asbury. Well, okay, I do a little. What I want is I want to see God's spirit move here. I want to see a move of God's spirit here. I want revival here. I want to feel like it's the desire of every staff member, every faculty member, that before anything else, 
we'd hunger and thirst for a move of God's Spirit on this campus. That before we care about win-lose records, we care about a movement of God's Spirit. Before we care about what's happening in the classroom, we care about a movement of God's Spirit. That's what I want. And that's my heart this morning. And I know, I know I can't preach the Spirit into moving. I can't persuade the Spirit into moving because the Spirit is not hype. The Spirit is a person of the Trinity who moves in ordinary people. And hear me, Central. I'm just as sinful and broken and fallen and horrible as any other person. So this can't be about me. And when I read the Bible, when I see Jesus talk about the moving of the Spirit of God, he explains the Spirit's movement and he talks about it like wind. And he says the wind blows wherever it pleases. The Spirit moves wherever he wants. You can't control him. You can't decide, hey, Monday at 10 o'clock, the Spirit's going to move here. and big. You, that's not how he works. Jesus says you hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And so I simply want to provide space this morning for the Spirit to move like wind here. And there are some of you in this room that I have, I have prayed that this morning, and I, I need you to hear my heart in this, I have prayed that this message would be like an itchy sweater. Like you couldn't shake it. You couldn't do those distractions that you normally do during this time because there's something different in this space today. So as the band leads us and we take some time, I want you to think about repentance. I want you to consider repentance and what perhaps the Lord is calling you to. I'm going to invite this campus to a time of prayer. Maybe you're here this morning and the Lord's really speaking to you. Maybe there are some things that you need to repent of. Maybe you're hearing very clearly this call to return. Or maybe you're here today and there's something in your life, something in your spirit, some truth that you need to speak, something you need to confess, to acknowledge, to say, listen, I've been trying to do this on my own or I've been doing these things and I know that they're destructive. I know that you have something so much better for me, Jesus. For thousands and thousands of years, followers of Jesus have participated together in the Eucharist, also known as Mass or Communion. Jesus instituted this meal, this bread, and this cup as a reminder that whatever has been broken can be restored. When we eat the broken body and when we drink the spilled blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we're reminded that death doesn't have the last word anymore. Sin doesn't have the last word. That thing that has come into your life, that, th that sin, that pattern or habit that's destructive, it's not the end of your story. Jesus is making all things new. That includes me and you and all of us. And so this morning, if perhaps the Lord is leading you to confess, 
I want to invite you on the side of the stage, there's a table set up with bread and a cup. And so maybe what you need to do if you feel led is to come maybe by yourself. Maybe you need to bring someone with you. Maybe you need to have a time of confession of repentance and then take a piece of bread and rip it off. Dip it into the cup. Feast on the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And be reminded that we serve a God who redeems, a God who restores, a God who takes what's broken and transforms it into something whole. Now, all of this may not be where everyone's at this morning. And I hear that. And so in a moment, before we move into this time, I'm going to pray. And as soon as I'm done praying, consider yourselves dismissed. You don't need to stay. You have your attendance for this morning. You're good. But hear me. Look at me. Hear me. Tracking. Hear me? If you do choose to leave, please do so quietly and please use the side doors that are already open. Don't exit out the ridiculously loud back doors. If you're going to leave, that's fine. I ask that you do so respectfully and quietly. After I pray, you're dismissed. But if you feel led, stay. Maybe sit. Maybe stand. Maybe come up front and, and kneel, share in communion. If you need prayer, myself and others would love to pray with you. Don't let it feel contrived or forced because I don't want it to be contrived or forced. If God's spirit is moving, if God's spirit is moving, then you're invited to respond. So let's pray. So God, that's it. This can't be about us and anything that we do, anything that we try to craft or create. God, we just open this time. We pray that your spirit would meet us here. Or God, maybe we pray that you would wake us up to the fact that he's been here the whole time. Maybe it's us that are showing up for the first time. So God, I pray for this campus. I pray that you would pour out a fresh work of your spirit in a way that we've never experienced. I pray for every heart in this room that is cold or hard or turned away from you, Father. I pray that you would be relentless in your pursuit of those people that your love would break down walls and barriers. I pray for those of us who have been trying to do it on our own. Father, I pray that you would help us to relinquish control. Father, for those of us that need to repent, those of us that need to return back to you, Father, I pray that you would give us the courage and the strength and the boldness this morning to do that. For those of us that need 
to change our heart or change our minds and the way that we're thinking or acting. Father, I pray that you would give us the courage and strength to do that this morning. For those of us that need to confess, God, I'm broken. I'm a sinner. I walk away from you 50,000 times a day and I confess it. Forgive me. Thank you for the sacrificing, atoning work of Jesus on the cross for each and every person in this room. Pray that we would experience and meet your love here this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.